I want you to imagine if I put a million dollars in your bank account. If I told you, I got a million dollars, here's a bank account that I'm putting it in, uh, but I didn't tell you what bank, I didn't tell you any PIN number that you can enter in to, to access it, or, or whatnot. I just told you you're, you, you have a million dollars. Just by classification, you would then be classified financially as a what? A millionaire. Right, a millionaire. You would be a millionaire if I told you I put a million dollars in your bank account, in your name, you would be a millionaire. But then if you cannot access it, I'm sure you would be a little disgruntled about it, right? You wouldn't feel like a millionaire. You wouldn't feel like somebody that had a million dollars because you haven't been able to reap the benefits of this million dollars. Well, oftentimes in the Christian life, many of us, uh, we, we, we treat God that way in a sense that unlimited access to, to God, we have access to him and he has an unlimited, unlimited amount of blessings that he wants to bestow upon us. But many of us are, are, are spiritually not there. We're not accessing it because we don't know how to call upon God in prayer. We don't know what to pray for. And so it's like we, we, we have all of these funds spiritually. We have all these funds in heaven, but we, yet we don't know how to access them in our life. Right? And, and we, we then get to this point where we're living spiritually poor because we don't know what it feels like. And eventually you get so tired of trying to access these things or trying to call upon God to answer your prayers and you don't have those prayers answered the way you want to see them, that you just give up. And you say, what's the point of prayer? Because I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm not seeing any fruit that I want to see coming from it. And so then we go from having access to God who allows us to be richly blessed potentially with, through prayer, we live spiritually poor because we don't know how to access that prayer through God. And I love this quote that I came across that talked about our prayer life. It says this, it says, heaven is filled with a room that will surprise all of us when we see it. The room has within it large boxes neatly packaged with a lovely ribbon on top with your name on it. And it reads, never delivered to earth because it was never requested from earth. Right? And so there's this, this, this understanding that there's a lot of things that you and I need to be praying for. That, yep, there's been times in our life that we haven't prayed like we should pray. And we've missed out on some of the blessings that God wanted to have for us in that life. Now, God gives us the things that we need. We understand that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't more blessings and there aren't more things that we can access when we call upon God and we ask God through prayer and we involve Every other people in our lives with prayer. There's power within prayer, but it requires you and I to understand and to value prayer, to understand that God is sovereign over all things, and he is the one that we must call upon in all circumstances and continue to pray. And it's not a coincidence as we get to the end of James that James, which this book is pound for pound, the most imperative-filled book of the entire Bible. Pound for pound, right? When you look at just the, the, the length of James, five chapters, and the amount of imperative commands that James has, which is over half of the verses that are in James are imperatives. He's telling us to do something. He's commanding us to do something, to be more spiritually mature. All of that is happening, but yet he ends his book with prayer. He's saying all of this that I'm telling you to do 
it all comes back to starting with prayer. None of it happens with prayer, and James understands that. In fact, he says prayer seven times in this last section that we're about to get into today. Seven times. And while much of this passage can be confusing if you've already studied it, trying to figure out who he's talking about or what he's talking about or why did he say that or why did he change, uh, seem like change his thought there, the main thing I want us all to walk away with and understand the theme of this passage is prayer. Prayer. Prayer and how important it is to be praying constantly and calling upon God to help us in our time of need and to even continue to help us when we are joyful. So you and I need to see the same power of prayer that James has given his audience as we read this passage. So let's go ahead and open up to James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, is where we will spend our time this evening. James 5, 13 through 20. And it says this, and I'll add a little commentary as, as I go, just to make sure we have clarification from the beginning. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? Let him sing praise. Sing praise. That, 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 that Greek word can also mean sing psalms, right? Singing psalms. It's that outward display of what's actually going on in your heart. It's a form of, of prayer, right? Singing praise if you're cheerful. Is anyone among you sick? Sick. Here's one of the first words that when we hear it, we have to understand what James is talking about. And there's two schools of thought here. Thought Because here. when you look at the word sick, right, in the, in the Greek is osteneo. Osteneo can mean sick, as in ill, you're sick, or it can mean spiritually weak, right? Spiritually weak is the other word that can be used here. And honestly, if you read commentaries, you'll see both sides of it. Sick over here, some say it means spiritually ill. I think it's talking about being sick uh, because there's no qualifier there, one. And if you look at the other usage of this in Romans 15, 1, where Paul uses this in the language of the spiritually weak in, in faith, he says this in Romans 15, 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings, asaneo, of the weak, right? So there's a qualifier there that he's talking about spiritual things, the spiritual weak. Jesus talks about this same word in the Gospels when he's talking about Lazarus. When he's saying Lazarus is ill, right, he's talking about he's sick, right? Acts 19, 12, we just read about that um, over in, in Maine with PM, right? They, they were taking the handkerchiefs of Paul, and they were taking them back to the sick, Ostaneo, the sick people. And so that is why we can look at this, and I, I believe he's talking about those that are legitimately sick, that are ill. And here's the other reason why, because of the, how it continues. Let him call for the elders of the church so that they can come and let them pray over him. So, right, this person that's sick is not able to get out amongst fellowship with other believers. So the elders are needing to come to that person that is sick, that is ill, to pray over him. Anointing him with oil. I'll pause again. What is that all about? Because right, when we talk about anointing with oil, most often we think about David and Saul and getting anointed to be the king, right? Well, we're not talking about that here. We're talking about anointment with oil. And you can look at Luke 10, 34, the Good Samaritan, right? When the Good Samaritan is, is bandaging up the man that's wounded, he puts oil, right? He, he puts oil to heal up some of his wounds. And so that is that anointing with oil is symbolic, not trusting in the oil, but trusting, as it says, in the name of the Lord, Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, 
I'll come back to that one. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Talking about 1 Kings here. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So I love it in verse 13 how he bookends that first verse. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Right? Suffering, and from humanly speaking, we're talking about a bad situation. It's something that is probably not what you had planned according to your life, right? The bad situation, you're suffering, you're under oppression, you're under persecution as they were here. He said, let him pray. And then he goes to the other side of it and says, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? Things that are, are causing praise in your life. He says, let him sing praise. And so you have these two bookends. That he's saying, if you got bad things going on in your life, if you got good things going on in your life, you know what you should do? You should pray. You should pray in all circumstances, right? And that's the implication that he gives here is whether it's bad, whether it's good, whether it's anything in between, we should be praying. And that's point number one for us this evening is you and I need to pray in all circumstances. Pray in all circumstances. Every time, every time we get an opportunity, every time that, 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 that whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether anything is going on in your life, you should be praying. You should be praying to God, thanking him for what's going on. You should be praying to God for wisdom to give you understanding of what's uncertain in your life right now. You should be praying to God for other people that are involved in your life. You should constantly be praying all the time, suffering. He says, let him pray. Think about that. Think about Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, right? He has a thorn in the flesh, right? Paul is suffering. But then Jesus tells him, my, my, my grace is sufficient. Right? My grace is sufficient in your weakness. And so Paul is suffering, but then he's praying. And then he understands that God is going to be glorified through him, through this thorn. What about Christ when he was in the garden? Right? He's praying. Father, if it, if it may, let this, let, this, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Right at the end of the day, so he's praying to be relieved of this. Paul is praying to be relieved of this thorn in his side, but at the end of the day, he's saying, Christ, let your will be done. Right, God, let your will be done. Whatever that is in my life, that's what I care most about. And so you and I, we can be praying to be healed. Right, it's okay to pray to be healed. If you're sick, it's okay to pray that you have a recovery. It's okay to pray that prayer, but understanding that we, want, we care more about God doing his work in our life with whatever is going on. And so at the end of all of those prayers, we should be saying, Lord, let your will be done. Because maybe the answer to prayer is not relieving you of whatever you have going on. Maybe it's to turn your attention to him and for him to teach you something through that trial that you're going through. Right? Good times, bad times. We need to be in prayer. So I'm cheerful. Let him sing praise. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the time that you and I, we oftentimes forget, right? When, when there's something suffering in our life, we know we, we got to go to God. Hey, God, help me through this. 
I got to be praying through this because I'm suffering right now. I don't like this. But then where you and I forget to praise God is when things are going well. Right? We almost become like that kid that gets a gift and we just take off running without even saying thank you. Right? And this is what, what James is telling us here. Look, you, you, got, you got things to be happy about? You got things to be cheerful in your life? Sing praise. You should be singing praise. You should definitely be singing praise. It reminds us not to forget that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Right? It comes from above. God gave us that. We didn't earn that. And so no matter what we're going through, we need to sing praises to Christ in the good times and in the bad. Because guess what? Especially in the good times, you never know what God is doing in your life. You never know who he has placed around you that he's trying to impact through you, through you, because of something that's happened in your life that's a blessing. Right? I mean, just think about Paul and Silas. Think about that situation. Right? They're in prison, and they're singing songs, singing songs, praising God while they're in prison. I don't know too many people that will do that, but they're praising God for the circumstance that they're in. They're praising God because they know that he's on the throne. They're praising God because they know that he's in control of all things that are going on in their life. And guess what happens? The jailer gets saved, and it says his family got saved, right? Because they were singing praises, God was able to take that praise that they were singing and impact somebody else's life for eternity, for eternity, And it happens to you and I all the time. God gives all of us blessings in our life. But how much are we singing God's praises? Even in the bad times, how much are we singing God's praises? Because guess what? That impacts people a lot. When somebody looks at your life and says, man, humanly speaking, you you, you got some rough stuff going on, brother. When they see that, but they see you say, praise God, hallelujah, God's on the throne, and I know God is doing something, that causes people to scratch their head. Sometimes even causes Christians to scratch their head. Because of the faith that you're showing, that God is in complete control, and he's doing something through those things. Right? The implication, as I said here, you got pray when you're suffering, sing praises when you're cheerful, and everything in between, we need to be praying. We need to be praying. Two of these books that I I got up here that I want to recommend, because they're two of my favorite books when you talk about prayer. One is by H.B. Charles, and it called, it's called It Happens After Prayer. It Happens After Prayer, a little shorter book, but you talk about spiritually enriching and something that will boost your prayer life and, and get you back where you need to be on track because we hit those slumps sometimes, is this, right? And one of the quotes that he says in this book is, pray when you feel like it, pray when you don't feel like it, pray until you feel like it. Did you get that? I'll say it again. Pray when you feel like it. Because sometimes we, we want to sing praises, right? We, we're praying to God. Pray when you don't feel like it. And then here's the kicker. Pray until you feel like it. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying because that's the best thing that you can be doing is to be praying. It's to be calling upon God and making your request be known to him. The other one that I have here is Praying with, Call, praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. Praying with Paul, Right? And it's, it's, it's a call for us to be praying the scriptures, right? If we want to take a look at the things that God wants us to pray about, he tells us everything in the Bible, right? Everything that's pleasing to him is in God's word. So when you're studying God's word, if you're already reading God's word, the good thing to do is to be praying the same thing that God's people are praying for in scripture, right? We see Paul praying all throughout, right? Pray the things that Paul, David's praying all, we got a whole, whole, whole book, right? Majority of the book of Psalms, David. He's praying. 
And so this is a great opportunity to hit the reset button on our prayer life if you're in one of those slumps that we all get in of like, man, I wish my prayer life could be better, right? Pray the scriptures. God's telling us exactly what's pleasing to him. And you want to see your prayer life start to come to fruition? Pray the things that are pleasing to God. Pray the things that are part of God's will, that show up in his written word. Pray those things. Pray without ceasing. Matter of fact, 1 Thess 5.17, what does that even mean? What does that even mean, right? Do I just constantly pray? I'm not allowed to talk to other people because I'm always in prayer. Am I doing that? No, it's always having that thought on your mind of, I should be praying to God. I should be thanking God. I should be in constant communication with God, right? It doesn't need to be a long, drawn-out prayer. Sometimes it's just a quick prayer. I mean, I love that quote from Spurgeon. He said that uh, there was rarely a time that he prayed over five minutes, but there was never a time where he went more than five minutes without praying. Right? He rarely prayed over five minutes. So he didn't have these long, drawn-out, hour-long prayers. He, he's saying, I, 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 don't, I didn't have to have that, but I never went five minutes without praying. Like praying without ceasing. Always thinking about how can I be praying. Praying in all circumstances. We get an example of this in Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Nehemiah is talking to the king, and the king, he, he looks disheveled. He looks distressed, and the king's basically saying, what's wrong here? What's going on here? And he, he asked him, the king said to me, what are you requesting? Nehemiah saw his city without walls. He needed to get back and wanted to build walls around the city. Right? And Nehemiah says this in, in verse 4. He says, what are you requesting? He asked Nehemiah and says, so I prayed to God of heaven and said to the king. Right? And so he, he quickly prayed. It's not like he went off and said, hey, give me, give me a 10-minute break. Let me go pray. No, he prayed right then in that moment, and then he got right back to answering the king. And so our prayer life, it just that, that pray without ceasing is prayer is always on the tip of our tongue. Prayer is always in our mind. We're always thinking about what is God doing in my life right now and how I need to be thanking him and how I need to be petitioning to him. Everything you do, we should be praying to God in all circumstances. Right? Don't settle for being in a slump. Guys, we get there. We get, we get in slumps sometimes, right? There's sometimes where you just have a dry prayer life. Some of us are in that right now where you're like, mm, should be better. I know it should be better. Don't settle for that because there's a direct correlation between your view of God's faithfulness and, and your faith in God and his sovereignty with your prayer life. There's a direct co- correlation. Most of the time when I get people in counseling meeting, I, I like to ask them, how was your prayer life? Because that's going to tell me a lot about you, right? It's not going to tell me everything, but it's going to give me a good, good understanding of how much are you trusting God through the circumstance that you're in? How much do you trust that God is in control of all things? How much did you trust that God can, he, he can change something if, you, if he wanted to right now, or he can bring you clarification and understanding and wisdom in your life right now? How is your prayer life looking? Because right, if you don't see the necessity to pray, you won't see God in most of your day. There you go. There's a tweetable line. If you don't see the necessity to pray throughout your life, you're not going to see God in most of your day. You're going to keep going. You're going to keep living life. You're going to keep doing whatever you're doing, thinking that you're in control and you're the one that's, that, that's, that's leading the charge here. Right when we constantly are praying in all circumstances, we understand who God is and the power that he has and the sovereignty that he has over all things. Back to our passage, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another 
that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He says, if anyone is among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Call to, call to the elders. Right? I mean, he, he's saying if it gets to the point, call, call on the church leaders and let them come pray. And he's not just talking about any sickness, right? Not, you know, if you've got a scratchy throat, call on the elders, right? There, there, there are certain circumstances where, yeah, you need, you need to continue to involve many people in your prayer life, all the way up to the church elders, the pastors of the church, right? Uh, pray, petition. You need more people to petition. We have that here at the church as well, right? Some of you have gone through certain health battles and crises in your life that, hey, it, it needs to get more than just outside of, of, of your roof, your household, right? You need to let the church know, right? We have a prayer line that you can submit a prayer request in that multiple people throughout the church, many people throughout the church, a whole prayer team is praying for you. Pastors are praying for you as well. And sometimes we need to utilize that more depending on what's going on in our life. There's a prayer chain. We, we're pooling all of our resources together. We're pooling all of our prayers together and petitioning to God that he would continue to move through this situation, right? And we need to be encouraged to invite other people to pray with us, right? We need to be motivated to invite other people. Sometimes it, it gets to that point, right? You have things going on in your life. You got brothers around you within your men's Bible study group. You got brothers within this church. That should be praying for things outside of the things that you're praying for because you need to invite them to pray for you. And that's point number two this evening is you need to invite others to pray for you. Invite others to pray for you. Right? We know that, that, that God loves to give good gifts, right? Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, good things to those who ask him? Right? We're not manipulating God. We're not trying to like, sell him by getting a group of people and saying, like, oh, this is going to make God. God's not going to change his mind. God's not changing his mind. Right? The uh, petition in asking God for prayer is for God to rain, rain down the blessings that he has already sovereignly had planned out for our life. But things can, that can happen through us getting more people praying, more people petitioning. Because guess what? God can encourage other people that are petitioning your prayers on your behalf, he can encourage a whole group of people by you allowing other people to, to pray for you, to be involved with you. Within MBS, each group has prayer requests. I know some of you are like, oh, we still do? Yeah, you, all of you should have prayer requests, and we should use it. And again, guys, I know this is one of the first things that, go, that, 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 that stops, right? We start off the semester, and everybody's praying, everybody's entering in the prayer request, and by the time you get to the end, end of the semester, many of us hadn't touched our prayers in, in, in the last four months, right? But here's an opportunity that we all have to invite others to be praying for us, to buy, invite other men to be involved in our life, to be praying for us, to be coming alongside of us, petitioning to God, right? And it's not the system. Right? You can use Echo, you can use Prayer Mate, you can use Google Docs, you can use smoke signals. It doesn't matter. You, you, you got to pray. You got to pray. Right? It's the prayer that needs to happen. It's the prayer that's going to get things moving. It's not the system. It's having guys within your group to say, you know what? This is a challenge for us to maintain this, but I'm not going to allow this to happen. I want to make sure that our group continues to be one that's praying for one another. 
I'll be in charge of the prayer request. I'll continue to pray. I'll continue to check up on guys. We need all guys doing that. Because guess what? That is the most important thing you guys can be doing together. And that's coming from the pastor that's giving you the sermon. That's coming from the pastor that's giving you the application question. If you said, let's set that aside and let's spend the time of praying for one another, for things that really matter, let's pray to God, I would say, praise God, good. Move the questions aside then. All right, I want you to do the questions, but that's the most important thing. Are you praying for one another? Are you involved in one another's life? Are you inviting other men to be praying for you? Are we calling upon others to pray? There are a few of you in here that I've known for a long period of time that uh, before my wife was saved that I, I needed guys praying for. And God worked on me through this too because I'm, at first I went from a, a situation of like, I, I'll pray. I'll just pray extra hard and I'll just really be praying hard, right? And then it's like, no, I need to get other men involved. And what happened is when I got other men involved, then all of a sudden their wives started to come in, right? And they're helping and they're, 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 they're witnessing to my wife and they're sharing the gospel with my wife and they're discipling her. And all of these things start happening. And really, it, it was more of me just looking saying, wow, look what God is doing. But it started with inviting others to be able to pray for me. Not saying like, oh, I can't tell anybody about this because they're not going to think I'm, you know, they're going to think I'm not as holy as I am. Brothers, we're not holy. Right? All of us are broken. And so allowing other people, inviting other people to be praying for us reminds us all of God's faithfulness and his power to answer prayers. And a few of you brothers that were praying during that time, like, I'm sure you were encouraged by it because you're like, wow, 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 look what God did here. Look what God did here through somebody I, I didn't, I mean, humanly speaking, it's like, man, I didn't, I didn't know. Right? I, I didn't know. But God was powerful enough to do it. It encourages other men other people around us when we invite others to pray with us. A misunderstood part of this passage is, is prayer of faith, right? Prayer of faith. And most prosperity preachers will use this out of context and say, oh, you just got to have more faith. You just have more faith and, and, and your prayers will get answered. And you just got to have faith, got to have faith. Look, it, the prayer of faith is not about just wishing and, and, and saying, hey, I got more faith, I got more faith, I got more faith, I got more faith. That's not it. Right, the prayer of faith is understanding that God has the ability to do whatever, whenever he wants to, and however he wants to, according to his will. And so we pray with the faith that God can do it, but then at the end of the day, we care more about his will being done. And Elijah knew that, and that's where he got to in verse 17, because he, Elijah was praying the things that God wanted. Right? It, Deuteronomy 11, 16, 17, it says this, Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there, is, there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord has given you. So Elijah, we look at that prayer and say, oh, he prayed that God would, would not bring rain. The only reason he had that prayer is because God had already said that back in Deuteronomy. And so Elijah was just praying the things that God said he would do. And so for you and I, it's praying the things that God said he would do, that God wants to do in our life, that God wants to do here, that God wants to do to, to bring all glory to Christ. Praying those things, God will do those things. Praying the things that God has given us. We can start with that and inviting others to pray for that in our life the things that God wants us to have. Then he gets into this, this next part. If he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Like, where, what? Where did that come from? How do we start talking about 
sin. And look, here's one of those things where this passage gets a little challenging because you wish you had a few more lines of, of, of explanation to say, like, well, how did we get from, you know, this praying with faith to now we're talking about sin? Here's what I do know is any time that we have things going on in our life, whether James was talking about this or not, it is worth doing self-examination to see if there's sin in our life. Sickness, right, trials, tribulation, it's worth having an examination to say, is, is, do I have sin in my life that's unconfessed? Is there something that God is trying to, to bring my attention to within my life? Right? It, it can be tied to sin, but we shouldn't be like Job's friend and try to, you know, put God in a box and say, because you sin, now you're suffering. Right? That's what Job's friend did. It, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't fit in a box. Right? God is, is, is way above what we would ever think and imagine. However, you look at David during that time, David not confessing his sin. In Psalm 32, he said, my bones are wasting away because I've remained silent. Right? So David had this unconfessed sin going on in his life, and he's saying that his bones were wasting away. Right? He, he's sick. He's, he, he, he's not, not well. And so there is, a, there is a situation to where there's sin going on. There's unconfessed sin, and, and God has to inflict things in our life to get our attention on that. But then James stays on the topic of sins, and he says, and he tells us that we should confess our sins to one another. Confess our sins to one another. And here's another passage that, you know, you can look at this, and there's people that will say, well, we're not talking about confessing sins to one another to be, or not to confess to a brother, or, or we should confess to a brother. What, what are we talking about? You should, we should confess our sins to a brother. However, we should not be confessing our sins to a brother to be saved. That's, that's the work of Jesus. Only forgiveness comes through him, right? But when we talk about being more holy and when we talk about being more spiritually mature, as James is saying, should we be in confession with other brothers? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to get somebody beside you to come along and say, hey, I am in pursuit of holiness, and this is what I'm trying to get done in my life, and here's where I'm falling short. Here's where I need your prayers. This is not, a, not an opportunity to air out dirty laundry. I'm not saying, you know, bring all your sins to the table and then have this pity part. That's not what I'm saying here. But I'm saying as we're on a pursuit of holiness, of spiritual maturity, you need to bring other brothers alongside of you. Well, I don't need other brothers. I got, I got the spirit. Well, you also have a biased flesh, right, that wants to do the things that you want to do, right? You also have an enemy called Satan that is seeking to devour you. And so if you think you can do it by yourself, then you're, you're in for a disaster, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, therefore, let, let no one, let anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he falls, right? You need to pay attention, right? Because if we get so, so you know, caught up in, oh, I, I can do this, I don't need anybody, I don't need to tell anybody, then Paul is giving us that warning. He says, take heed unless you fall, right? We see that all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, that principle of discipleship, that principle about having other brothers with you, coming alongside of you, right? Spiritual growth. Timothy had that in Paul, right? Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? We're not following a man. We're following somebody that is, is in pursuit of Christ. That's the point here. Right? Accountability, right? I, I get it. Some people squirm when you, when you hear that word. Look, I don't care what you call it. You call it accountability, discipleship, my phone buddy, my coffee buddy, my whatever you want to call it. The principle there is that we need to have other brothers involved in our life, involved with our prayers that are coming alongside of us and promoting holiness, promoting us to be more like Christ. 
Galatians 6, 2, bear, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Invite other brothers to be praying with you, coming alongside of you. There's great power in that, right? There's great power in prayer of the righteous person. And that's the whole, that's, that's why we're going through that this summer, right? We need as men to be involved in other men's lives, right? It's not just about going to your small groups and answering the questions. Look, you can email the question answers to one another, right? It's about really getting to know those that you're sitting around the table with. It's about getting involved in their life. It's about submitting your prayer requests that are real, that are, that are, that are getting after something, that are, that are prompting you to be more spiritually mature, that might be challenging, that you need some prayer for, that you need brothers to come alongside of you. And guess what, man? Your wife is not your accountability partner. She's not. You're placing her in a position that, that, that God didn't command for her. Because guess what? She's not, gonna hold, she's not the spiritual leader. She's not to hold you accountable. And so we got to get away from that uncomfortableness of, like, ah, I don't want to tell anybody stuff because they're going to call me, they're going to they're ask me these questions and, and all these other things. If our goal is to be more like Christ, then we need other brothers to come alongside of us, and we need to be inviting people to pray with us and to be praying for us. Back in our passage, verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. If you remember James's audience, it says they're in the dispersion, right? They're spread out. They're, they're being persecuted, right? They're being oppressed. They're, they're all over the place, right? And so if you can imagine here, there's some brothers out there that are probably, that are probably like, I, I don't know about this Christian thing, right? I, life was a lot better. Life was a lot easier. Life seemed to be a little bit more calm when I wasn't professing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, before I was sharing the gospel, before I was telling people, convicting people of the sins that they had. All of that, it seemed to be a little bit more easier, right? And, and he's saying if there's people that are wandering from the truth, people that are starting to, to, to scale back, people that are starting to get nervous because of the oppression, that we need to go out there and find them, like bring back the wanderer. And we all have a responsibility for that. Right, we look at that first point, it's like, is anyone among you, you know, suffering? Let them pray, right? Is anyone among you cheerful? Let them sing pray. Like, that's a personal thing. You then going out and allowing, inviting people to pray for you, the elders to pray for you, others around you, as we're talking about, to pray for you. All of that starts with you. Here's one for the entire church, saying, if anyone is around you that's wandering from the truth, then you are to go bring back this sinner from wandering. That requires all of us. We all have a responsibility to pursue wanderers from the truth. And that's our third point this evening is you and I need to pursue truth drifters that are around you. Pursue truth drifters that are around you. And I put that are around you because there's certain people that you know that are around you that you see that are slowly drifting away from the truth that I don't see. There's certain people that you see over here that are slowly drifting away that I don't see. We all have a responsibility. We can't just say, hey, pastor, 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 that person is drifting. You should go get them. No, that's all of our responsibilities as followers of Christ. We all have a responsibility. Galatians 6.1, I said 6.2 earlier, 6.1 is this one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... But you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. There are brothers right now that were here at the beginning of the semester that are not here anymore. For whatever reason, 
for whatever reason, right? They, they were here. They were all bought in at the beginning of the year, and then all of a sudden they kind of drifted away. Whatever happened. Time got away from cares of the world, all of those things that are happening. But it happens even within our ministry that people are drifting. But my question is, are you pursuing them? Because many of you know exactly who they are. It's like, oh, man, Bob doesn't come anymore. Man, what happened to him? Maybe I'll invite him back in the, in the spring. spring. We may not be here in the spring, right? Tomorrow's not promised. How often are you pursuing those guys that are not coming? Those guys that are inconsistent in your group, how often, not just the leaders, but everybody's re- involved in the group, how often are we calling those guys saying, hey, we, you need to be back here? I know your schedule is busy, but, but is there any way that you can make some adjustments? Maybe even go to a different night, but you need to be in fellowship with other men. It's too big of a spiritual battlefield out there to be thinking, I, I, I'll, I'll catch it when it's convenient for my schedule. You need to be here. How often are we pursuing those men? We need to be spiritually growing, all of us as men, and that includes those that are drifting away. Right? Because there's, there's one aspect of pursuing. It's reactionary. You see it happening, and then it's like we, we need to go pursue those, those men. We need to go pursue those people around us and bring them back to the truth. Pursue those people that are pursuing the cares of the world and bring them back. We have to do that. But then there's the proactive aspect of that as well. And proactively, the way that we do that proactively is the same thing I was saying before. Is we need to get involved with other men. We need to get involved in their life need to be involved with their prayer request. Because a lot of times the prayer request tells the story, right? They, at the beginning of the year, they're all in. It's, I need to be here. I love being here. You know, the prayer requests are there. They're praying for good things. And then all of a sudden, it starts to get a little bit more inconsistent. And they start to pray more about their job than they are praying about their holiness. They start to pray about cares of the world more so than they are about things that God has told us to pray for in Scripture. And then they stop praying, period. And then they just stop showing up. And then before you know it, you can't even find them around church. All of that is a gradual phase that we can proactively find out well before it happens when we are involved with other men, when we are doing more than just surface-level conversations, when we are praying constantly for other men and we're involved in following up on those prayer requests, asking the questions that matter, right? Loving our neighbors. God tells us to love our neighbors, not just our neighbors at home, but neighbors, the people that are around us. Loving our neighbors means I'm willing to ask the tough questions because I care more about your, your, your holiness than I do your happiness. You saying, hey, you're a friend of mine. I'll be a friend. I'd rather be a friend of yours that's going to you know, ask you the tough questions than you consider me a friend because I just let you get by. Right? We need to be willing to ask those tough questions. I had somebody uh, recently, I heard a testimony, and the, the individual was here at MBS uh, serving. I mean, externally, you look at their life, and it's like, wow. I mean, seems to be on par, seems to be doing, loving the Lord, seems to be serving, seems to be saved. Just like we, we, we would we look at from a, an external standpoint, we, we would check the box on all of them, right? There was no issues necessarily that were on the surface. But then as time kept going by, time kept going by, they were doing the same thing, and uh, there was a, a lack of spiritual growth. And a, a, a person close to them that was involved in their life asked them one time, do you see any spiritual fruit in your life? I just want to ask you that. Do you see any spiritual fruit in your life? Because I've been coming alongside of you for a long time, and you know what? It seems to be there, but I just want to ask you, do you see any spiritual fruit in your life? 
in that question, that, 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 that below-the-surface question, that, surface, that question that will offend a lot of people because, like, who do you think you're talking to? It got that person thinking. He said, well, you know what? I don't see that much spiritual fruit in my life. And they've been in church their whole life. They grew up in church, and praise God, because of that tough question that was asked, it got them to really think about their life and examine their heart. And they realized that they hadn't truly surrendered their life to Christ. And they surrendered their life to Christ. And then they got baptized. They obeyed that commandment and got baptized. And then from all of that, you see multiple people in their life, this person's life, that are now, people are examining in their life, and people are professing faith because that they had that conversation with them and realized that maybe I need to think about my own life. They went and got baptized. They were obedient to what God commands us to do, get baptized as believers. We are to then go get baptized. They were obedient to that, and God convicted some other people's lives and said, I need to go get baptized too. All right, and so you see this, this, this effect happening in their life to people are surrendering their life to Christ. People are getting baptized. They're obeying Christ all because of what? One question. One question. Do you see fruit in your life? One person that said, look, I, I, I don't care if you, you can get mad at me all you want, but I got a question. Do you see fruit in your life? They were digging below the surface. And they were able to see God's hand, faithful hand, work across many people. And it will continue to work across many people. Right? Because if those people get baptized, they'll tell their story and they'll tell their story. And more and more people will see the light of Christ through somebody asking a person beyond the surface, how's the fruit in your life? How's your pursuit of Christ? Might be someone around here in this room right now that, that might be drifting. It might be drifting. And all I'm saying is, if you are, then you need to repent and put your faith in Christ. Be saved. If you're a Christian already and you, you seem to be slowly drifting and you are a Christian, then we need, there needs to be repentance there too. But many of you know those people way better than I do because they're in your small group and you see it. And you're with them constantly. Or they're not here. And we all need to feel the responsibility to say, I have a responsibility to go pursue those that are wandering from the truth. Because guess what? When we do, he says we save their souls from death. Like, how great is that? Right? You, you, you might be initially upset, like, why are you asking me all those questions? But eternally, this is God's hand, saving somebody's soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. That, that's way better than somebody being offended that you said, hey, I care about you so much that I just want to ask you a question about your pursuit of Christ. I want to ask you a question about your holiness because I care about your eternal life more than I care about you being happy right now. We're not in it, right? We're supposed to have a gentle spirit while doing it. At the end of the day, we want to please Christ more than we please others, and we need to pursue, pursue those that are wandering from the truth. I got a couple cards uh, that I want to pass out to you guys that the leaders are going to pass out. And if you can put that screen up there, guys, they're reflection questions. And so as I just mentioned, James, this book is, is, is rich, it's full of imperatives, it's full of commands, it's full of uh, ways that we can be, you and I can be more spiritually mature, and that you and I can be all in for Christ. And so the last thing that I want to happen is for us just to get past this book and then just say, all right, we'll put another book, you know, in, in our... I've heard that sermon series library, 
but I want us to be thinking about these things because these are things that are coming up in our lives each and every day, right? And these are reflection questions. It's questions to ask yourself, right? How am I doing with this? And things to be praying about, right? Am I patient in tough times? All of these are throughout the book of James that we've already been studying. Am I patient in tough times, right? When, when I'm suffering, am I patient during that? Am I daily drawing near to God and resisting the devil? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Pursue God. Am I stewarding God's money and time well to glorify him? Remember then James 4, he's talking about the businessmen, right? He's talking about those that make a plan without inquiring what God's will is. Am I controlling my tongue, James 3? Am I a peacemaker or a complainer? Am I considering the will of God in everything? Am I reflecting godliness or worldliness? Am I constantly praying for wisdom and understanding back in the beginning of James 1? And I talked about your, your prayer requests. Here's a challenge I've already given the leaders the heads up on this. But I, I'd like for you, for, for one week, I'm asking for one week. I hope you would continue with this. But I'm asking for one week you take a look at one of these and say, Here's what I want to see spiritual growth in, in this one particular item. If you say I'm knocking all these out the park, then let's talk after this. Um, then we can have a little bit of a conversation just to level set. Um, just one. Right, where, where is one that you feel like I, 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 I need God to help me with this? I need, some, I need some spiritual growth here. And then add that prayer to your group prayer list. Let's get that prayer list dusted off wherever it is in whatever shape, and let's get everybody for one week praying for one another on these specific things that we just went through in the book of James. And with your own prayer list, you could probably pull out two or three of these, but for your group's sake, I'm just saying pull out one and say, here's where I'd like prayer for. Prayer for patience during tough time, and give, us, give a little detail so brothers know how they can be praying for you. And let's start there. And we should be praying these things. Pray for yourself. Again, grab however many you want to, two or three, four or five, whatever. Pray for yourself, but pray one for your group. Right? Enter it this week and let others be praying for you, praying for yourself, praying for others. We need to be doing that more. And let's, as men, men's Bible study, men of compass, right, let's be men that are all in for Christ. And that starts with our prayer life. That gives us access to God and his omnipotent power. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the study of James. As convicting as it is, Lord, we know it's necessary. These are the things that you call for us to have in our life for spiritual maturity. And Lord, there's always areas that we can grow in these, and I just pray that we all would have a desire to grow to be more like Christ that we would put aside the cares of the world, that we would put aside uh, the feelings of, of, of one, wanting to be right or wanting to do things on our own or be cavalier about things, but we would invite other men to pray for us, that we would pray diligently for ourselves to understand the value of prayer, the power that's in prayer. Lord, that you are a God that is creator of all things, that you are sovereign over all things, and you want to give us good gifts, and you have good gifts that you already give us, and you have even more that are lined up for us. Lord, but it requires us to be praying, to have the right mindset of prayer, to be praying without ceasing, constantly having you on our minds. 
pray that we would do that, and I pray that that would lead to much spiritual growth. I pray that even in this week that we are diligent about even just this one prayer, this one thing that reflects our, our minds back on the study of James, that we, can be, that we can be engaged with that, that men wouldn't blow it off, that men wouldn't say, oh, that doesn't matter. No, that we would be engaged, that we would want to pray for one another, and that we would want to be spiritually mature. And so, Lord, allow the men of this church, the men of Compass, to continue to be strengthened, to, to continue to grow, to continue to have a faith that doesn't waver, to continue to be all in for Christ and allow us to help the church grow because it starts with the men of the church, Lord. So let us take that responsibility serious. And I just pray that you would use us mightily for your work and allow us to be a lamp for this community and many people even beyond this because of the work that is going on here that you're doing uh, with the men of Compass. So allow this to be a, a good uh, reflection of this series, Lord, and I just pray that you would do much good work in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.